What's going on, FCS football fans? Welcome to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. I am David Hassagan. With me, as always, is our the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, you're fired up this morning. How are you feeling, sir? I'm feeling good, man. Yeah, fired up, at, at, to put it nicely, but I am ready to talk some FCS football. Do you think we got enough, a little bit to talk about this week? Uh, did, did anything happen? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's never a down weekend in the FCS. I think we have a lot to, to cover this this morning. This season is getting crazier and crazier, folks, and we've got a lot to talk about. We've got expansion coming in the NEC. We're going to talk about, we're about mid-season mark now, so we're going to talk about our Walter Payton watch list. We got, of course, week six, game balls to hang out. We only got eight winless teams at this point of the season, which is, I think, a lot less than we had last year. We'll talk about which one of them do we think are going to get off the mat at the end, and who should we take seriously going into week seven. There are a lot of teams that have made a case for that this past week. Again, folks, if you want to listen back to any of our previous podcasts, you can do so on iTunes or SoundCloud. Search Football Game Plan in the podcast section. And don't forget to subscribe while you're over there so you don't miss anything from Football Game Plan. You can also go to footballgameplan.com and youtube.com slash footballgameplan for all of your knowledge going into each week. Let's get right into it, Emery. As we said, we've got a lot to talk about, and we got to start with the elephant in the room, or should I say the phoenix in the room, Elon pulls off last year. It's a little a little bit of a revenge, if you remember from last season, because Elon and JMU met on the last week of the season to decide the CAA, amazingly, because of Elon's incredible season. JMU came home with the victory pretty easily. Elon gets revenge, 27-24 for the number 10 team in the country. Game-winning touchdown with 117 to go. Absolutely silenced the crowd in Harrisonburg. What? How? Again, we talked about what teams to take seriously. How seriously is Elon now a contender for the national title? Well, you have to take them seriously, knocking off the number two team in the nation, the Stats FCS Game of the Week. Shout out to Craig Haley and those guys over there at Stats. But the biggest story to me was when you have a running back going up against a very uh, stout defense in James Madison and Malcolm Summers. He went over 180 yards. Big reason why they were able to knock off the Dukes in that one. That's a huge win for Elon, but it just muddies the entire CAA because, again, you have, what, one game separating a lot of teams, and teams that are normally at the bottom are now at the top, and it just makes things a lot of a lot more confusing uh, for the committee, but it also makes it great for uh, college football for the FCS because you have a lot more parity in this particular conference, but if you're Elon, you're feeling really good about yourself this morning. Welcome to the Twilight Zone, because if you look at the CAA conference standings right now, I'm going to read them off to you as they are. Towson, Rhode Island, Elon, Maine are your top four teams. They are undefeated in conference play, but you still have JMU, Stony Brook, Delaware, and William & Mary, amazingly, only have one loss in conference. So it's completely backwards. Everything we know about the CAA is backwards at this point, and we still got half a season to play. It's absolutely bizarre. Let's stick with the CAA, and let's talk about the team at the top of the standings. Towson has gone from absolutely nothing to maybe the best team in this conference. They crushed Stony Brook 52-28. Tom Flacco has another incredible game. This Towson team, I mean, if people didn't recognize it now before this game, they do now. Well, what's interesting about this game is that Towson really stopped the run. And yeah. Stony Brook comes into the, to a contest knowing 
they're going to run the football. They got two great backs. They do a great job of getting both guys involved. And Towson's defense was really able to hold them in check. And on the flip side, we talked about this before. When you have a guy like Tom Flacco that's able to now attack you in the passing game in addition to what they do on the ground, that's a scary offense. This is the type of offense we've seen them have when they got to the national title game against Eastern Illinois, I believe. So Towson's ability to play balance on offense and still stay aggressive defensively makes them a true threat in the entire subdivision. And this was a, a if we had seen this scoreline two years ago and we said, oh, Stony Brook got shut down on one field of the offense, we would have said it's the passing game because that's where, as Joe Carbone, as, we, as we've said a number of times, early in his career was not very good as a quarterback. He did not have a bad game. He didn't have any picks. He only threw for 195, but he was 15 to 24 with two scores. It's not like he played badly in this ball game. But this Towson, I mean, we talk about Flacco a lot, but you're right. It is a balanced attack. Leatherberry, the wide receiver, 129 yards receiving on nine catches. He didn't even have a touchdown. It's all about, you know, the, the, the shift as well between the short passing game and the deep ball. The running game is fan- they've got four or five ways they can run at you, including Tom Flacco out of the backfield. This is a really balanced attack. I really like the way the Towson Tigers are running, and right now they're trying to figure out, okay, Flacco's gone in two years. How the hell do we keep this up? <laughs> we need to well, recruit I, quarterbacks like crazy right now. One thing I do know is is Coach Ambrose down there, Rob Ambrose, the head coach at Towson, is a great recruiter. He does a great job of recruiting the state of Maryland, which is, has very underrated high school football talent. Mm. You look at that roster of Towson, and it's a lot of guys from the state of Maryland. They do a great job recruiting their home base, and they're going to be great for a long time. As long as Coach Ambrose is there, he's done a great job in maintaining the standard there at Towson. Let's move to the, the big sky. We talk about more upsets going on. Northern Arizona, we apologize. We, we've been doubting you and doubting you week after week. And here come the Lumberjacks, and they chop down. You like that little side piece? <laughs> Number six, Weber State, 28-24. Is Northern Arizona better than we've given them credit for the last couple weeks? Are they deeper, or is this a, a game where they happen to be on point? I think I, I can honestly say I don't know. Because... Mm. I was all in on Northern Arizona. I had them to, to win the Big right. Sky preseason. And that was all depending on whether or not uh, you're going to have Emmanuel Butler, the receiver out there, full full speed and, and full health, as well as uh, Case Cookus, the quarterback out there. So I was all in on their offense and their defense. So this score doesn't surprise me from a defensive perspective. I'm more impressed with what they were able to do offensively without Goobrood. Goob, he's out too but without uh, Case Cookers. And so their offense impressed me, but their defense, to me, is still a pretty good defense. And we, and you talk about Northern Arizona in this game, they had a Missouri State game. <laughs> Bridge Gad with two interceptions, no touchdowns, and yet they still <laughs> won the ball game. Uh, they, but they had great special teams in this game. They got a fumble return for a touchdown, as well as a two-point conversion in the, in the third quarter. Um I, I, I don't know what this says about Weber, though. Like that, That's the question. This is the team that came in at number six. They've looked decent, but again, they were, they've were they kind of been like JMU. They've been winning games. They were ranked highly, but they're not blowing anybody away, and maybe they got exposed. They were ranked real high for my taste, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't as high on Weber coming into the season, but again, you start to string together a lot of wins. You kind of have to put you in the, in the conversation, but Weber right now, to me, was probably fool's goal in the top ten. Mm. And so now with this loss to Northern Arizona, they're going to drop out of the top ten. And rightfully so. So I still will say Weber is a good team. They're not a great team. They're probably still a playoff team. 
but they're not going to be one of those teams that we're going to talk about, hey, you got to go to Weber State. They're going to get a top eight seed. They're not that team. They're the team that's going to come in and have to probably, probably play a road game in the playoffs. I still believe they can make the playoffs, but I don't think they got exposed. I just think people starting to realize this team had issues coming into the season. Right. And you talk about all the upsets we've had so far. Weber State might be on the end of another one before the season's over. Who knows? But the biggest upset of the weekend also came out of the big sky. Number 14, Montana. We Again, we loved them for the first five weeks. Last week, they kind of stumbled a little bit. Now they lose to Portland State? Nobody had that. If anybody had that money in Vegas, I'd love to hear about it because, be honest, nobody did. 22-20, Portland State gets the win. How? Just tell me how. Montana's offense couldn't find its way. And one thing I know about Portland State is that they are great along the line of scrimmage. They always seem to have very good offensive linemen. Their defensive line does a great job in clogging the uh, line of scrimmage as far as run, run lanes are concerned. So Montana couldn't really move the football. And on the back end, when you look at Portland State, quiet is kept. They also do a great job of recruiting in the secondary. So they're able to match up versus opponents' passing game. What was shocking to me was their offense. Even though they have a great offensive line, nine times out of ten, offensively, the skill positions don't normally produce like they are supposed to. Now, we've seen Portland State have a ton of success, what, two years ago when they went on that run and got to the playoffs. Right. But this Montana team is a good football team, one of the top 15 in the, in the nation. They just laid an egg against a very game Viking squad. And shout out to Portland State going on the road and getting the victory. And Portland State, they, they shut them out for the first half. That's very, very impressive with this Montana team that's putting up 30, 40 points a game. So, shout out to Portland State. I'm going to I'm gonna mention one of you guys in just a little bit here for, for my <laughs> game balls. Just saying. Let's move into uh, another highly anticipated game this past week. And that was Wofford versus Chattanooga. Chattanooga coming into this game, still not ranked. Still not getting any love from the pollsters. But was having a pretty decent season. But this was going to be their test game. Are they really up in, as a contender in the SoCon? Wofford took care of business, 21-10, but it was closer than I think a lot of people thought. I'm shocked that they weren't ranked as high as they're supposed to. This was a yeah, very seriously. good team, and, and they won some games impressively. I don't think this says anything bad about Chattanooga. Just I believe that Wofford is a really good football team. When we talk about top five teams, Wofford should be in the top five. Yep. Wofford is good defensively. They are great on offense. This is a team that should have beaten Wyoming. We said that last episode. But this team is complete, and I believe Chattanooga shouldn't hang their heads losing to a team like Wofford. They'll probably meet up again later on in the season in the playoffs, something like that. Mm. You know how we get those weird matchups yeah. where a conference team plays plays one another. But Wofford, to me, is a great team in the FCS this year, and they are a title contender. Well, that, and and Wofford, I think, certainly is is one of those teams where. Again, an option team you never want to face, especially in the postseason. Let's talk about that Ch- the Chattanooga though. They started four zero. They got you know wins over Sanford, um, but really they didn't beat anybody decent. Are they finally getting? You know they lost to East Tennessee State two weeks ago. They lose to Wofford this past week. They got Western Carolina and VMI up next. That you know is this going to be the telling point of is Chattanooga ready to come back yet? I think it's the next two weeks will tell us. Yeah, because both offenses they're going to face can put <laughs> points up on the board. We talk about VMI, even though VMI is winless. They're scoring points. <laughs> They're putting up crazy They're numbers. They're putting up crazy numbers, so your defense has to be ready. Western Carolina is another team that still puts up points, so your defense has to be ready. So we'll learn a lot more about Chattanooga's offense and ability to control a game, and defensively, can they get those key stops to, to pull out 
two victories because they're going to have to win back-to-back games. They can't afford another loss, in my opinion. And they still have Furman and Mercer on their schedule, and they finish with South Carolina, which, I mean, that should be probably be a loss, but they, they basically need to win their next four games right? if they're going to get in because if they lose to South Carolina, which they should, that puts them at three losses, and we know what can happen with teams from not as respected conferences with three losses. Especially the way the FCS is shaping up this year, it's a it's lot wild. of good teams. It's wild. So, <laughs> there's going to be some really great teams, just like we saw last year, some great teams that are on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs. Let's talk about another wild game. The, one of the wilder games of the weekend uh, in the SWAC, Alcorn State, the beast in the East, usually, they get dropped by Alabama State 28-25 in five overtimes. <laughs> now, as first of all, as a broadcaster, Emery, do you love that kind of game because you're getting more money because of the hourly pay? Or are you thinking that why am I still here? <laughs> get, me, get me out of this place. Why do we need another one? From a broadcast perspective, you you kind of want the game to end in regulation, <laughs> especially if you have something to do the next day. You kind of want to find a way to maximize your, your sleep. But if you don't have anything to do on Sunday, you're like, okay, I could I could hang out a little bit, yeah. especially if the game is good. Yeah. If it's a bad overtime game, then you kind of like, man. So yeah. this one. <laughs> but this one was shocking because – you just expected all corner to come in and dominate. Yeah. They've done that all season long. And you want to give credit to Alabama State for showing up and playing hard. And when all corn came back to take the lead, Alabama State didn't relent. They just stayed to the stayed to, uh, true to their game plan and got the lead back, pushed this thing into overtime, and they hung around and, and won it. So, And that puts them now back in play in the SWAC East. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. We will have two new players, I believe, in the Celebration Bowl this year. The the, the SWAC and the MEAC are just are just bonkers at this point. You got Florida A and M leading the MEAC. Both conference, both sides of the SWAC are just, I mean, they're they're completely up in the air. So we'll have to see what happens this week. Prairie View versus Southern, big game coming up this week in the SWAC. One more game game you are at Emory uh, taking this one in. On Friday night at the Yale Bowl, Dartmouth taking on Yale. This was going to be a telling game of how good Yale was. After a year coming off the winning the Ivy title, Dartmouth has made some statements. They've looked very, very good. They looked outstanding against Yale in pretty nasty conditions. It was drizzly, it was rainy, the field was chopped up. But Dartmouth runs roughshod over Yale, 41-18. How seriously do we have to talk about Dartmouth being the favorite in the Ivy this year? You have to take them seriously. Now, it, it was... It wasn't raining. It was a, actually a clear night. It was but a clear the, night. But, but the, the field, field was the field was still kind of questionable. But I would say this. The takeaway from Yale was that Kurt Rawlins, the quarterback, is legit. You know, he's a, he's mm-hmm. a really good player. Their offensive line just couldn't stand the downward pressure coming from Dartmouth, who found ways to shut down Yale's run game to really get pressure on Rawlins. He, the plays he made in the passing game, he had to get outside the pocket consistently. We were like, how did he find that guy deep downfield? Defensively for Dartmouth, they're outstanding. You talk about Isaiah Swan. This guy is legit ball hawking skills he has. Um, and he's a junior. He, he's probably leading the country in picks, I believe. But he had a, a intercept return for about 54 yards in that one. And on offense, Dartmouth really ran the football Yeah, down their throat. Uh, Matt Caskey, the left tackle, who's a pro prospect, they ran behind him a lot. Their quarterback, Garbino, was outstanding running the football. They really didn't have to put the ball in the air much. When he did, he threw a touchdown to, to Hunter Hagdorn, <laughs> and uh, you know Honeycutt made some some key, uh, key plays. But running the football was where Dartmouth was able to hang their hats. And 
it's just going to set up a, a huge matchup. And you want to look, you don't want to overlook any opponents. But when you look at November third, I believe November third at Princeton, they play Princeton. You got great offense versus great defense, and a surprisingly good defense at Princeton. That's going to be the game to me to determine the Ivy League champion. That, that's a game where both teams are so strong on both sides of the ball. It could either end up. 45-42 or like 6-3. Right. It's a really going to be a really intriguing test. And you talk about the quarterbacks, the dual quarterback threat of Dartmouth with Kyler and Gerbino. I mean, Gerbino versus Lovett is going to be a real subline of that game when it comes around. But Kyler, again, you have that element with him. He's got a decent arm. He's very smart with the football when they need him to be. And it's one of these situations where you know he's going to throw because he's in there, but it doesn't really matter. It just doesn't matter. Their in this offensive game. line is phenomenal, man. They do a great job of keeping the quarterbacks clean. I was more impressed with how dominant they were as far as running the football. They imposed their will on Yale. Definitely. And let, let's, let's with that being said, let's get into our game ball segment. And I gotta start off with this. Tanner Geller, the quarterback from Idaho State. It was the battle of the domes. <laughs> the, the renew of the rivalry there out in the big sky country. And Tanner Geller just went off. I mean, way off. 19 of 30. Okay, decent. 492. Not bad. He threw eight touchdowns. (laughs) He threw eight touchdowns, including one to his brother. So, I mean, you have three wide receivers over 100 yards receiving? That's bonkers. You throw for eight touchdowns? That's bonkers. He also ran 11 carries for 81 yards. Tanner Geller had himself a day. Oh man, they needed it too. So they, they really, <laughs> they really put the smack down on Idaho. I give, I give them credit. And Idaho State, we'll talk about them later. But mm-hmm. that's a pretty impressive win for the Bengals. I'm gonna go with the guy that had a phenomenal effort in a losing uh, game, Justin Christian of of Maris, senior wide receiver, seven receptions, 274 yards, three touchdowns, 39 yards a catch, and a 34-24 loss to Columbia. But that is unheard of. That's like that's every deep ball he he was able to catch. You seven receptions, three touchdowns. That's a pretty good ratio. That's like playing. That's like playing Madden on rookie mode. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like I'm going to throw it to Brandy Moss. He's going to catch it and go for a touchdown. This is fine. I'm going to go with another receiver as well. Um, Cortrell Simpson, wide receiver from Richmond, mm-hmm. eight catches, 220 yards, two touchdowns. Also in a losing effort, they lost to the University of Delaware, but he was a real bright spot for the Spiders. I mean, again, they need to go to him more. I'm, in my opinion, you put up 220 yards, you're a game breaker. And considering the fact that they were, they are without Dejon Brissett, their other receiver that's a pro prospect who was out for the season. Right. So with Simpson there, people know they're going to go to him constantly. He was still able to produce. I thought that was impressive. Defensive game ball up going to Kennesaw State's defense. They blanked uh, Presbyterian 50, 56-0, 18 yards rushing, 123 yards passing. Forced two turnovers. That was outstanding. <laughs> that that was that was ridiculous. And if Kennesaw is not number at least number three, if not number two in the next FCS stats poll, Craig Haley, you're going to be hearing from me directly. <laughs> let's let's talk about another uh, quarterback though. Chauncey Caldwell, the quarterback from North Carolina Central, had himself a great two way game. Twenty four of thirty eight for three thirty two and three touchdowns. He also ran twenty times for one fifty three and another score. Great game for him for NC Central, who are now right back in the conversation in the MEAC. Yeah, that's the other part of, of this equation, too. They looked so bad last weekend that you kind of wrote them off. But they won this week, Caldwell, with a huge game, a monster game. 
and a big reason for their turnaround. My last game ball is going to go to South Carolina State, the game I broadcasted uh, this weekend against Morgan State. Got their first victory in an impressive fashion. They were down on the scoreboard, down on the time of possession, but the last possession, when they needed it the most, they were able to drive down the field, good quarterback play, situational quarterback play by Tyrese Nick, was able to go down the field. The play they scored the game with a touchdown was an outstanding play call because it was you kind of roll to the right, get the defense to think you're rolling right, you sneak the tight end back across the field. But this time it was a running back that was going back across the field, wide open, walk-in touchdown. They win the game, their first victory of the season. Head coach Buddy Pugh did a great job coaching against Morgan State. That's a great job. And I've got one more game ball to give out Portland State. I didn't forget about you. To kicker Cody Williams, who had three field goals in the day, 22 from 43, and with four seconds left, hits from 52 yards to get them the win over Montana. That was the difference, a 52-yard field goal. Well done, young man. You've got your team, one of their biggest wins probably in the last, what, five, ten years? Because of your leg, and from fifty-two, pro prospect, pro prospect. Well, I, I don't want to put put that on him too early, but I, it's funny you bring up kickers because in that Morgan State game pregame, our game game uh, breakers, our players to watch, we spotlighted Alex Rea for Morgan State coming off that mm-hmm. big game against A and T, where he hit the fifty-one yarder to win the game. He also hit a clutch thirty-nine yarder in the week before. He had a forty-nine yarder, so we spotlighted him like, hey, they have a kicking game now. He goes one of four in that game. So when you add Uh-oh. those points up, uh-huh, Morgan no. State will win. But he had a bad game. And it was like you go from the hero to the goat in a matter of a week in college football, especially at the kicker position. Whenever you get to be big man on campus kickers, take advantage of it because you never know who they're going <laughs> to forget about you next week. Let's go into some news and notes, Emery. And we had uh, a couple of interesting pieces of news that came out uh, this past week. And we're going to start with positive some news out of the nec a little bit of expansion going on for the northeast conference who's joining the fray emory tell us a little bit about it long island university um and if you guys are familiar with long island university there's two campuses here out in new york city there's liu brooklyn which is a basketball school the blackbirds then you have liu post the pioneers which is division two program that uh that plays football so the two schools are going to merge their athletic departments. Mm. So now we're going to have one LIU team. They're going to be known as Long Island University. They're going to, you know, I guess do a, a raffle or whatever you call it for a new mascot. They've changed the colors to, to now blue and gold. So it's going to be interesting because now they're going to join the Northeast Conference, which is great. They're going to join Merrimack, a team that's also mm. in Division Two, coming out of Massachusetts. Very strong Division Two program, by the way. So now that puts the NEC at nine teams which is going to be great because conference scheduling is going to be easier. Everyone, you only have maybe two or three out-of-conference games, which helps these guys out. So you don't have these guys playing four out-of-conference games. You're going to have everyone play one another in conference, which is huge. And I think they're doing a great job expanding their their brand. going from Because there was some talk of some other teams maybe joining the Northeast Conference. Right. Um, there are a lot of rumors there. But I think nine is great for this conference. It's going to be interesting to watch how you know Wagner and LIU now on the same yeah. you know same city recruit for these players. In addition to Stony Brook and CAA, so I think this is great for college football. It's great for the for the FCS. Now I also wish Hofstra would bring their program back, but yeah. I do believe adding Merrimack and uh, LIU will do 
great things for the Northeast Conference that's quietly been a very good conference football-wise for a long time. And we, and we talked about this a little bit before you, you touched on it. The, the scheduling aspect just makes this so much easier because with a conference as small as the NEC is, you're looking at four, maybe five out-of-conference games during the season, and that could be – there are enough teams in the Northeast where you could play teams from the Patriot League or even the Ivy League for most of them. But still, it's a, it's a lot of travel. So you get a couple teams that are closer together, Merrimack and LIU. It certainly makes things easier for the athletic departments. It saves them a little bit of money, which is certainly going to help. But you're, you mentioned with LIU, this is going to be interesting because now there's a brand new recruiting. There's always been a recruiting battle in this area between, you know, you mentioned Stony Brook, Wagner, Yale occasionally will come in because they're right here. Columbia, in Fordham. Columbia. So you've got all these teams right in here. Now you've added another player into the mix where you really didn't have to you know, mention them really that much, but LIU always had, you know, it's always had that, you know, that gritty look to it, so it's appealing for, for college students to go in there. It's going to be very, very strange now to see that and see how that dynamic changes to Stony Brook, especially now that they're getting into a high, they're getting into a peak. Is that going to kind of drop them off, or are they going to be, are they saying, we're okay? Wagner, on the other hand, you know, where they're kind of struggling, maybe that's where they see a couple of recruits here and there. Well, it's interesting because I think Stony Brook has directly benefited from Hofstra not having football anymore because yeah. all the, those are the two schools on the island. So now you have all those D1 recruits going essentially to Stony Brook. Right. So now you have LIU Post right there on the island as well. Now you probably cut into that a little bit, but I do believe Stony Brook has gotten to a point where they're so good now that it may not matter. They're still CAA, so they've right. got a little they, bit of advantage there. Exactly. But when you look at Wagner, like you mentioned, that may be where the battles will come to play. Even with some teams at Fordham or at Columbia, you know, so now you have to wonder how that's going to factor in. When you look at Merrimack's addition, you look at the teams in at Sacred Heart, Central Connecticut State, yeah. Do they start to put Bryant? Do they start to pull away from those teams? Because they're dab smack right there in the middle. Right. And so I think it's going to be great to see talent go to these two new programs. But it, it makes the conference look a lot like the Big South now. Yeah. Because with the Big South, you have right now you have six teams. But next year you're going to have North Alabama and Hampton. So right. you have eight teams. It makes sense. You want to get to about eight or nine teams in conference, makes scheduling a lot easier, and also adds to the case if you want to, you know, for at-large bids when you go to the playoffs. If everybody is strong out of conference and competes well in conference, now you have the NEC becoming a two-team bid league, uh, which, should, which should be great because, again, we've seen this, this conference before have two legit good teams. Sometimes it may happen. Sometimes it may not. Yeah. Uh, so – this is going to be a great thing because LIU Post and also um, Merrimack are two good Division two teams. This is not a team that's just starting a new program. These are two very established football teams in their respective division, in their respective conferences, uh, that are joining uh, the NEC along with some other great teams that we already talked about. So it's it definitely going to be uh, hopeful for the NEC there. Hopefully that conference gets stronger. Let's talk about something else that happened during the week here, Emery, the, uh, the annual uh, midseason attendance report. Uh, coming out, it wasn't good news. It was not good news for FCS. Again, declining uh, attendance for games. Talk about a little bit. Talk about what challenges the you know these schools are facing at this level, and what can be done. What do you think can be done to correct this this trend? I think attendance at college football games are just going down. I think across the board. Yeah, you know, 
and it's it's a I want to say it's a a bunch of different issues. Right. One more games to televise, which is great because teams that are let's say if you're a a parent of a kid that's playing at you know Sacred Heart, but you're, you're from California, you can watch the game mm-hmm. on TV. A couple of you know a couple of parents I know at Georgetown games they fly out from Colorado to watch their kid wow. play on uh you know at, at Georgetown. So if you don't have the means to do that, television streaming options makes it a lot easier. Right. On campus, I don't know what each school does as far as students are concerned. When I was in college, and this was from 99 to 02, we had as student athletes and even as students had free access to the games. Right. So we used to go to all basketball games. You just have to show your ID, get in free. I don't know if that's still the case at other schools. And I hear at major schools, people talk about this a lot where students have to get on a, a lotto list to, to buy tickets to go to games. Right. I don't know if the FCS is doing that. I don't know if the FCS has situations where all students, you know, with your ID, you get in the game free. To me, that would pack the stands. But I just think there, one, you have to, you have to have like reliable Wi-Fi nowadays, yeah, which is huge. You have to make the the event of the game an experience, right? Because if it's just going there and watching the game, then I could just watch the game on TV, and I can go to the bathroom as you know as much as I want. I can go get whatever food I want. Right. You have to make things inviting for fans. And the, the cool part about the FCS is that these places are in areas where it's a good sense of community. Right. They're not in major cities or, or major areas where, you know, there's other distractions. So let's say, for instance, Western Illinois. You're, hmm. in, you're in Macomb, right? right. You, Western Illinois is the Alabama of Macomb, Illinois, right? Yeah, exactly. So you go to the games, and, it, it, and that's something that's ingrained over time. I don't know what has changed. I, I guess – it's the, it's the you know television or just people are, the games maybe have become more expensive or people are finding other things to do or they don't enjoy the experience of college football as they used to. So I don't know. I, I really don't yeah. know. I don't think it's a knock on the, the student athletes or the programs. They just have to find unique ways to increase what's going on because we're seeing attendance up in the NFL. We're seeing attendance up at certain college football teams. So you just have to find a way to get those guys that are within your area, those those people within your area to uh, come out to the game, make it an experience. I don't know what you can do, but we have we haven't seen attendance really drop off in in the MIAC and SWAC. Right. So especially in the SWAC, but it's funny that's even unique because if Southern plays Jackson State or Florida A and M plays anybody, they're gonna show up. Yeah. If Florida A and M is playing. Or if Jackson State is playing Mississippi Valley State, nobody's going to the game. Right. You know, so those numbers, even within the SWAC and MEAC, are kind of fudged a little bit. You yeah. know, because they play classics in, in large venues, neutral site games. I, I would be really interested to see the numbers for them at home, non-classic games. Right. You know, so you don't have the Circle City Classic boosting up attendance. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So I think across the board – Attendance is, is kind of down because kids have much more access to do different things and a lot more distractions uh, to do to do other things on the weekend. And I don't think they make the games, uh, you know, an event 
like it used to be. Yeah, exactly. And when you mentioned, you mentioned a couple of things there that I want to touch on the community involvement and idea. And as you said, with a place like a Western Illinois, that is what the community has. But in some other cases, um, it's an area where there's so much other stuff to do that it's difficult to get people into the stands. We were at the Columbia game, and obviously, you know, Ivy League, so the students have a lot to do. But you know, they were giving away free T-shirts for the students, which is good. They got you know people in the stands for that. But you're in Upper Manhattan. You're you know you're close to Harlem. You're close to the Bronx. It's going to be difficult for a school that's you know as upper class and that sort of thing as Columbia is to appeal to the broader New York City base to get them into the stands. So you're not going to have that local involvement or very little of it. And you'd also talk about the fan experience. And again, this is just you know I've I've seen this at several different places in college football, but. You know, obviously Columbia, it's a beautiful stadium. You know, they right. have a beautiful view right on the river. You've got, you know, this whole thing. But the seats that are that they have there are from the 1970s. You know, a lot of it is still bleacher seating. There's not a ton of concession options while you're there. So if you're a student, especially at an Ivy League school, where <laughs> your academics come before everything else, and you have an opportunity of, hey, i got to prepare for this assignment, or I've got to, you know, hang out with my friends or whatever, or go to this game and I get a free t-shirt but not much else you know it, it's it's a difficult decision and it's a lot for a lot of college students you're probably not gonna make it I mean and, and I, I hate to say it too it depends on what kind of game you're playing at some places because again where I went to at Springfield we run a triple option offense as someone who you know a lot of kids you know they show up for the first couple games because they're really excited they love the you know going to high school games oh I got to go to college games now and they watch a team that just runs the ball and never throws it, and they get bored, and they don't show up anymore, and that just is what happens. But I think the the two biggest things: the community involvement, getting the outreach there, and providing that experience for fans. That can that's the biggest factors that all these programs need to do to get more people in the stands. And unless that happens, you know, over time, we're going to continue to see this decline. Well, you can't base uh, you what you do as a team of what fans no absolutely because no, Nebraska absolutely ran not. an option for a while and, right, absolutely and they had not. those games were like packed and, and Springfield went undefeated last year right so, but but I'm just saying like for some people you know watching a certain you know they're, they're the football snobs if you will you know it's like I, I demand to see the ball thrown every once in a while this is, <laughs> this is a why are we running the ball this is a, this is a disaster but it, 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 that does happen with some people well w- winning also brings yeah that'll help. you gotta win <laughs> number one because James Madison, I don't think, has issues with attendance. No, no. Neither does North Dakota State. So I think winning kind of cures that. And, you know, I, I don't know what you can do nowadays. I just think that I don't think people enjoy outdoor events like that anymore because yeah. they have so much at their, at their disposal. At, yeah. Right, at their fingertips. You know, you see it in the NFL. People were upset at NFL games that they couldn't watch other NFL games. <laughs> like, like, it's like think about that. Yeah, so, and the people who watch, who had, had, like, I've seen it with other sports, like at hockey games forever. You're at the game and you're watching the big screen. The ice is down there. Right. Watch the game down there. You'll be actually able, actually be able to see it live. And so, <laughs> so one of the school that I, I was, you know, when I got back from the Balt from Baltimore for the Morgan State game, uh, which was well attended because it was homecoming. Right. I watched Lehigh and Princeton. Princeton has the best offense in the FCS. Arguably the best quarterback in the FCS. Yeah. They're undefeated. They're averaging 50 points a freaking game. 
barely anyone was in the stands. Yeah. This is a great team, great offense, great players, fun to watch, great uniforms, nice, cozy, quaint on-campus stadium so you really don't have to drive anywhere. Yep. This is so. What do you do to draw the fans out? I mean, think about it. You, Princeton, literally does everything that you would check all the boxes. They're exciting. They win games. They got great players. Great facility. Great facility. Easy to get in and out. Concessions are, are not bad at all. I, so, what can you? You know, people are just not going to games like that anymore. And I think um, you just kind of have to change your approach a little bit. I think Richmond has a really good game day experience. Uh, when right. I went down there, they have like four or five tents set up in the end zone where right. fans are sitting. Penn has a little bit of that, but I think with the Ivy League and some of these stadiums, these these historic stadiums, it's going to be tough. Right. You it's know, tough to do stuff like that. Right, because you have 60,000-seat stadium at Yale, and you're not going to draw 60,000 to Yale anymore because they're not you know, major big-time football like they used to be. Right, they're not playing the Navy and Army and Bingo. Notre Dame and that sort of thing. Exactly. So that, that, that changes it. You know, but I, I just feel like the experience is we have to change our expectations of what we expect uh, turned out to be because it has changed. I yeah. mean, there's so much other things that people have going on nowadays. And with the and I love the fact that people are watching games online. Yeah. That's why I have a job broadcast because people are watching yeah. these games. Right. So I'm not saying take away broadcasting online. You want that. That's how the game has grown. That's how more people are finding out about FCS football right. or taking more interest in FCS football. I just believe that you have to find a, a unique way, to whether it's like having a, a pregame concert or a halftime concert, postgame concert, something like that to draw fans in and keep them there. And, oh, by the way, we're going to play a football game in between this right. and, and, and try to get, fan, get butts in the seat, make the entire experience – a legit thing for them, and that that way they'll show up. And it, it, yeah, exactly. And to the you know students of these FCS schools who are you know questioning whether or not we should go to locals around there, get off the Instagram, get off the tweets. You don't have to follow Donald Trump everywhere he goes. It's fine. <laughs> Put down your phones, take your friends, and support your school. Go and support your local community if you're a community member. If you're a student, you can take a couple of minutes away from studying or whatever else you're doing on the weekend, and go to the game. Go and support your fellow students. Go and support your school. Just Prime example, man. At the at the Morgan State game, right? It's homecoming. Right. So where our press box is, lo- where the, the broadcast booth is located, is on top of the press box. So we're outdoors broadcasting the game. And so I get a good bird's eye view of what's going on around the stadium. And there was a ton of people walking around outside the, the stadium, not in the game, watching the game, number one. And so, in between, they do something that's great. And they've done this the, the last couple of homecoming games I did for them. In between uh, commercial breaks, you have the cheerleaders uh, doing their thing, the current cheerleaders. Then you have veteran cheerleaders coming back uh, that have, you know, that graduated from, from right. Oregon State. They join in the the uh, activities and the, the routine, and they pick up right where, the, where they left off, and it's great to watch. Right. So, I, I was able to capture, you know, a little bit of video of that and tweeted it out. And I was like, this is pretty cool that goes on at halftime, or not halftime, but in between commercial breaks um, here at Morgan State, old cheerleaders with the new cheerleaders. And somebody tweet re- in response was like, well, it would be nice if you could just, if you would have posted more than eight seconds of it. I'm like, well, 
I'm on the broadcast. <laughs> I'm working there, buddy. I'm working there. You can get off the off the doggone couch and still come to the damn game. <laughs> like, how about that? I'm not here to, to like you could you could video as much as you want <laughs> if, if you come to the game. <laughs> That'll be the final word. Get off your damn couch and go to the game Jeez. from Emory Hunt on the Star of the Playbook. Folks, we're going to take a break here. We've, we've gone long into this segment here. Uh, when we come back, though, we're going to talk about um, who is on our watch list for the Walter Payton Award. It's getting down to the point where, okay, we can start selecting finalists now. We're going to talk about that. We've got eight winless teams left in the FCS. Who is going to get off the mat this weekend? Who has the best chance of putting up a decent record, even despite their record at this point? And then we will get into our Week 7 preview and talk about that. Again, this is the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. Stay with us. So you've been thinking about changing careers. Well, now is the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands since 19. 19- Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit Go. CSB.com. Welcome back, folks, to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Again, folks, you can follow us online on SoundCloud and iTunes for any of our previous podcasts. Just search Football Game Plan in the podcast section once you get there. Don't forget to go to youtube.com slash footballgameplan and footballgameplan.com for all of your knowledge, including the videos, which... You get knowledge that you don't get here on the podcast. Emory keeps that a secret, so don't forget to check out the videos. Get all your knowledge going to week to week. Be the, be the smartest one amongst your group of friends going into the weekend. Emory, let's talk about the second half of this podcast here, and let's get into award season. Already? Let's talk about Well, that. you know, it's always good to, to keep an eye on what's going on with these awards, and, and, you know, that's why we have these little watch lists. You know, you have Heisman Watch in the FBS, but we have Peyton Watch here in the FCS. Well, let's talk about the Pey- Walter Payton Award real quick. We're getting to the point where it's time to start selecting finalists. What two, what two, one or two names have you picked out here do you think should be finalists for the Walter Payton Award when all is said and done? Well, you say one or two. There's no way I could get one or two. I got five All right, then, All right, then throw a few names out there. Well, you obviously look at the quarterback position. That's the premier position, well, right? Yeah. <laughs> but Jake Mayer of UC Davis has to be in the conversation. Mm. 60% completion percentage, 11 touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, is coming off a game against Northern Colorado where he threw for 382 yards, 71% completions, four touchdowns. So he's playing great, and UC Davis is a big-time player in the big sky. He has him 4-1 on the season, 2-0 in conference. You know, he's going to have the statistical success and the team success, which I think is huge. I would also look at John Lovett. This dude may be the best player in the country. Yeah. 12 touchdowns, no picks. 66% completion percentage. So we've seen him improve as a passer, 
this season, juxtaposed to 2016 where he played uh, that, that dual role, that, that platoon role with uh, Chad Kanoff, 400 yards rushing, which is leading the team, and six rushing touchdowns. So he has 18 total touchdowns, no mistakes, improved as a passer, and, yeah. person, and is leading the best offense in the country. Absolutely. I'm going to throw a couple more names out there. I think Tom Flacco has to be in the conversation. Absolutely. What he's done at Towson, he's completely changed that program, not just the offense, the program. He's at 69% completion percentage. He's thrown for 14 touchdowns, almost 1,500 yards already. So if Tom Flacco is not at least one of the top four in everybody's list at this point, I'd be shocked. Another name out there, Anthony Lawrence, the quarterback from San Diego, has been had a very quietly impressive season, 63%. Uh, completion percentage, 13 TDs. He's going for 17, almost 1,600 yards. Wow. He's had a great year. Another name that's going to be under the radar, but I think he deserves consideration because this is supposed to be the most valuable player to your team, and that's Chandler Burks, the quarterback from Kennesaw State. This man is not thrown. He's only thrown for 500 yards, but he is leading the country in rushing touchdowns of anybody. Of and 14 touchdowns on the ground Damn. as a quarterback. He's run for almost as many yards as he's passed for. He's got 14 TDs on the ground. If we're talking about most valuable player to your program, he's got to be in there. Well, and he's going to, like Jake Mayer, team success, statistical success. <laughs> he has it because they run the option. He does a great job in, in you know, moving that offense. Another quarterback, since we stand on that position, you talked about Anthony Lawrence. I'm going to go to another player in the Pioneer League and Grant Kramer out of Drake. Yes. He has Drake 3-1 and one, three and one in that on the season. They look good in doing so. He has thrown 14 touchdowns, four interceptions, 64% completion percentage, and just over 1,000 yards throwing the football. He is dangerous. He is a really good player, and I think he has these guys in position to not just you know have a winning season, but probably get into the playoffs. And obviously, you go to the backfield. Ryan Fulce out of Wagner leads the FCS in rushing 926 yards. 6.2 yards a carry, averaging 154 yards a game. And DeWanya Tucker, he was off last week. Now, he was leading the league in rushing, leading yeah. the FCS in rushing, but had a bye week. Now he's back. They have a game this week. They have a big game this week, actually, against Southern. And he has 795 yards, four touchdowns, and averaging a ridiculous 8.4 yards a carry. That's, that is crazy. And we talked, we'll talk about these guys as we, the season goes along, I'm sure. Let's go from team success to lack of team success. Well, at least in the win-loss column, there, let's talk about our winless teams. Last year, we had a lot of these teams. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a point where it was right. like 16 or 18 winless <laughs> teams. It was ridiculous last year. There's only eight left this year, so it's been much more competitive in the FCS. Some teams deserve their, their record at this point. Other teams do not. And let's talk about the teams that don't. I'm going to start with Northern Colorado. This team has done everything right. They could be 3-3. Three and three. To be perfectly honest, this team has done a lot of great things. I think they get off the mat this week, though, because they got Portland State. Now, <laughs> you just made a case for Portland State. I know that, but <laughs> it's a one-week deal, and there's no <laughs> I mean, I look, Cody Williams, if you can hit, keep hitting 52-yarders, you got every chance. But unless the rest of your offense comes with you, Northern Colorado, I think, finally gets off the mat this week. I think they beat Portland State. Well, you ha- just to... Get the the audience abreast of who are the winless teams. Northern Colorado is one. Southern Utah is another one. You also have Mississippi Valley State, Delaware State, and you have Tennessee Tech, Fordham, Valparaiso, Valparaiso, and VMI. Those are your winless teams in the FCS. I think two teams have a chance to get off the mat first. Fordham, 
are much better than than what their 0 and yeah. 5 record indicates. It, they're going to get it turned around, and they're this at is, Lehigh, so that's that's a chance. I thought yeah. they would knock off Georgetown, honestly, but Georgetown, sure. shout out to Georgetown getting that win. Um, Fordham, and I also believe, like you said, Northern Colorado, but Southern Utah is not a bad football team Mm-mm. either. I think those two would be the first ones I I believe to get off the mat and get a win. And you, in, one other team I'm going to keep an eye on this week. I don't think they are a better team, but the way that they play offense gives them a shot. VMI, because this week they're at Samford, and we'll see. We've seen what Samford can do off. Could be a shootout, but def- this game could end up in the 70s. Right. This. I mean, <laughs> you've got. I mean, you've got Hodges on one side, Yubisky uh, on the other for VMI, who are both like they both they're averaging like almost 450 yards a game, pretty much. This game could end up in the 70s, so if it gets into a shootout, both teams have either have a chance. VMI, I don't think they will, but they have every shot to get a win this week. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, man. These we don't have a lot of winless teams. I like Mississippi Valley State and how they're competing. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be winless for for a stretch though. VMI without that without good defense, and this is weird because usually VMI has great defense and no offense, and so now they're starting to find offense and the defense is is. Terrible. They are coming off a bye, though, and they almost beat Mercer yeah. two weeks ago, but they only lost by 10, so keep an eye on them. Before we get into uh, some of the games we're going to be looking out for in Week 7, let's talk about who should we start taking seriously. We're six weeks into the year. We've kind of got a good judgment now, and there are certainly some teams that have come from maybe the middle, maybe even the depths, to really impress the season. Who should we start saying, okay, I think we can start talking about them as a legitimate playoff contender? Idaho State, mm-hmm. number one. They're second in the Big Sky. Three straight games they've won. They look great defensively. They just dismantled Idaho last weekend. Right. You have to start to take the Bengals seriously. You talk about uh, their quarterback-receiver combination, but let's talk about their defense and how great they have been on third down. They do a great job of getting off the field. They have a defensive head coach in Rob Fennessy who's done a fantastic job. So you have to start to take Idaho State seriously. I think, you, I think people should start to keeping an eye on Southeast Missouri State as well. Had a really good offensive performance against a Tennessee Tech team that's mediocre. We're going to learn a lot about them in the next two weeks, though. They have back-to-back home games with Austin P and Jacksonville State. I will go into SoCon and the leader of the SoCon, East Tennessee State. And I say leader because they play one more game than, than Wofford, right? <laughs> <laughs> but right now they are number one Wofford in the SoCon. Twitter is blowing <laughs> exactly. up right now. But East Tennessee State, man, who saw this coming? No, nobody. <laughs> Absolutely nobody. Not even you. The, right. The way they beat Chattanooga was impressive, and then they just doubled that this week, uh, winning the game as well. They're undefeated in conference, 5-1 yep. and one overall. You, They can get three more wins and find themselves in the playoffs. That's East crazy. Tennessee State, in Randy Sanders' first year as the head coach, taking over for Carl Torbush, what a great job they've done, and they've won – by scoring a lot of points, they won by playing great defense. They're winning multiple ways. Start to take East Tennessee State seriously. He should be a Coach of the Year candidate, honestly, Coach Sanders. The way he's turned that program around, he should be a contender for Coach of the Year. Let's get into Week Seven. Oh, well, hold on, Embry's got Incarnate one more. Incarnate Word is another team. Yes, they've they've. <laughs> last year they had terrible defense, especially in the <laughs> yeah. secondary. This year they're much better in the secondary. Their offense is putting up points. On both ends, they can run the ball well. They're mm. throwing the ball well. And right now, they're second in the Southland Conference behind my top five team, McNeese State. 
So yeah, this is a team that you should start to take seriously because they have improved in areas they were deficient last year. And one more team I'm going to throw out there, Drake. Yes. The Pioneers are having a phenomenal season, and they are actually in one of my games this week that are going to be uh, very telling. I've got three or four, because it gets into the season now, you can learn a lot more from every game. I've got Drake hosting Stetson. That's a big, very interesting game of the Pioneer to see who can really rise to the top and challenge San Diego. Austin P. Southeast Missouri State is going to be a telling game. Telling game for me, though, is Central Connecticut at Bryant. Going to be a very interesting game in the NEC to see how serious Bryant is and can Central Connecticut come back and get themselves back into contention. You know what's an interesting game uh, that no one is talking about? Georgetown at Lafayette. Georgetown right now is second in the Patriot League. Quietly. If they can <laughs> beat a, a beatable Lafayette team, Georgetown will be 3-4. and four. Two annoying conference. Are they the next? I'm high? not saying. I'm not saying, <laughs> but Georgetown Lafayette is a key game. Keep an eye on it. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. I got two trap games to keep an eye on here this week. The first one is going to surprise some people. Elon at Udell. You're just coming off a win over the number two team in the country. You're on that. a high. We know Udell is a lot better than what their record has been this year. Keep an eye on Elon. The other one. Talk about a team that might be sleeping on an opponent. Colgate. They host Cornell this week. Cornell has quietly put up some decent performances in the Ivy. Colgate, I don't think they're even looking, you know, I don't think they've even game planned for this one. Just go out and run whatever offense, run the plays in the dirt. Just just watch. It could end up as a blowout, another shutout, but. Here's why I don't think they, that's a trap game. One, because they're the proximity. So recruiting. Right. Hamilton and Ithaca, like True. right across the True. way. Second, Cornell just beat Harvard. Cornell runs the football. Their defense is good. So they are a good team. And trap game. I don't know, man. I, I think they have. I don't think it's a trap because Colgate has to be ready to play. Colgate is only giving up just under like six points a game. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's, ridiculous. It's going to be an interesting, interesting ball game. I got some, uh, quite a few unsung games here. I'll touch on these quickly. Sacred Heart at Dartmouth could be a very interesting ball game, especially on the defense side of the ball. Maine at URI, the two unsung teams in the CAA from, at the beginning of the season against each other. Your pick versus mine could be very interesting <laughs> in that one. Florida A and M at North Carolina A and T could decide a lot about not just who goes to the Celebration Bowl. But whether or not the MIAC has a playoff team. Because Florida A&M just beat Norfolk State. They're still undefeated in conference. So, if you're A&T... Actually, no, I'm not going to say it because the NCAA will come down hard on us somehow. But I get what you said. I know you're going with it. You and, know, you know you, where I'm going on that I, one. I know you're going with it, and it, it makes sense. But how about Florida A&M? The last two weeks, they've been phenomenal. Impressive. Very impressive. And one other unsung game, though... Idaho State at UC Davis Ooh. this week could be wow. an outstanding ball game, especially. I mean, you talk about two, uh, you know, difference of styles. Yeah, UC Davis that you know has really created a balanced offensive attack, which mm-hmm. has really done well for them this year. But Idaho State, we saw what they did this week. They can throw on anybody, so keep an eye on that ball game. You know, it's interesting one for me, uh, an intriguing one. We saw North Alabama last week lose to West Florida. Now, on paper, it looks like FCS 
gets but upset West, by Division West II. West Florida also was in the D2 championship game. game. So <laughs> it's not right. And this week they got Mississippi College, another solid Division mm. II team, uh, the Choctaws. So that's going to be Ooh, one. Love that nickname. I know, right? Love that nickname. <laughs> you know, famous alum from Mississippi College. No clue. <laughs> Fred McAfee. Oh. Former running back for New Orleans Saints, okay. Pittsburgh Steelers, special teams ace. Uh, but yeah, Mississippi College. Interesting. That's, interesting. A, that's an interesting game to watch. And two games to watch this week, um, especially now with how things have gone result-wise. JMU at Villanova, Eastern Washington at Weber. Two, you know, one team coming off a big loss going on the road. One team going off a big loss now hosting a big game at home. Interesting ball games there out west and in the CAA. But let's get into our Week 7 previews. We'll get through some of these quickly. Let's start with Sam Houston State. They've come back. The Bearcats have started to figure things out. They got Northwestern State this week on the road. Is this a trap game in your opinion? I don't know, man. Or is this Sam Houston trying finally figuring out everything on offense? But you know what? Talking about how you come about your trap games, I can see why you would say this. We, I like Northwestern State's offense. Uh, Sam Houston State seems to have found their offense. Yep. Their offensive consistency, which is huge. That's a team right now that probably no one will want to face. So I can see why you, you like this game here. I think this game is going to be interesting because as high as I was on Northwestern State, they've lost two straight, two real tough ones. Yep. And this is the type of game that they can come back and probably win. So definitely one to keep an eye on. Playing game in the Missouri Valley, Northern Iowa travels to South Dakota. South Dakota... Again, we talked about them. They've gone two and zero though in the conference play. Northern Iowa, they could veer any way, either direction at this moment. This is going to be a big game for the Panthers. I think this is also a big game for the Coyotes. You talk about playing in the the, the playing in the Dakota Dome. Words are hard. Oh my God! Like all those D's <laughs> in there. But you have to like this game because, like you said, it's a playing game. Both teams is I hate saying must win. But yeah. it's a must-win for both teams. And South Dakota came off the mat last week and pulled off the upset, so to speak, yeah. on Missouri State. <laughs> yeah, that's the just upset. When we just, we just, that's the upset, amazingly. We bought into Missouri State last episode. I was all in. Stop breaking our hearts. <laughs> Man, but I'm a big Austin Simmons fan. Eli Dunn did a great job last week trying to – They for a while it looked as if they were going to pull off an upset. You know, they were going back yeah. and forth, and then Easton Sick just turned into a monster and and went bananas. He's another one that should be on Peyton Award watch because he got the wins and also has his, uh, statistical uh, backing. But that's a, a huge game in the Missouri Valley. Another game in the Missouri Valley to keep an eye on this week. Number one team in the country, North Dakota State, travels to Western Illinois. Now, again, Western Illinois, they're 2-3 and three so far this season, but they're 1-1 one one in conference play. They've got a decent quarterback. Can they make things hard on the Bison at home? We just saw Northern Iowa make things interesting uh, against North Dakota State. Here's the thing. When you look at the Leathernecks on paper, everything points to them, yes, this game should be close. Right. You know, they they can run the ball. Efficient quarterback played defensively. Sean McGuire is is a great quarterback. Yeah, so you got all the recipe. You got the the ingredients to, to pull off the upset. But North Dakota State just so doggone good. Yeah. You know, and it's. On paper, you say, okay, you could beat North Dakota State here, here, and here. But in reality, they're not weak in those areas that you yeah. think you could beat them in, and they're just so doggone consistent. Great coaching out there by Chris Kleiman. Even last week, they had they were close with UNI for three quarters. And exactly. then the fourth quarter, 
Easton Stick went crazy. Something flipped, and it was Easton Stick. So it'll be interesting to see how the Leathernecks can deal with that. Again, at home, once you get North Dakota State out of the dome, they get a little bit vulnerable. I feel like they play all home games. I feel like this game <laughs> on the road at Western Illinois will look like it's in the the. the uh, They'll certainly travel. That's it, it'll for sure. look like it's in you know Bison Stadium or what was what is Fargo Dome? Fargo Dome, yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Big game in the Pioneer League to talk about. San Diego talk, taking on Dayton. Now, a few years ago, this would have been the, the, clash, game. the clash to decide the Pioneer League. Dayton fell off the last couple of years. They're decent this season, but San Diego is still the class of this division. Yeah, and it's going to be a fun game to watch because these are the two perennial Titans like you talked about. Plus, if you're San Diego, you got to keep winning because you not only have to keep Drake out of the picture, but you also have to keep Davidson out of the picture as well. And Butler. And Butler. So The Pioneer League is wild, folks. Every conference <laughs> is wild right now. It's pandemonium, folks. <laughs> it's, it's running wild, brother. So let's move to talk about a conference that's up in flux, the CAA. Let's talk about this one. You know, obviously, we got the Towson William & Mary game. UNH. They've been written off before. Your UNH. They were Wildcats. written off this year. But... They got themselves a little bit of help this past week. The quarterback's back, and he's angry. They got a shutout win this past week. They now go, and they're hosting Stony Brook. Talk about it. I almost put this in as the trap game, because it could be. But Stony Brook, I mean, New Hampshire has to win out to make the postseason. Period. Because they've got four losses. They made it in last year with four losses. This is a must win for UNH. But now, could they do it now that they're back at full strength? Oh, my God. This, talk, about a, <laughs> talk about all the pressure on Stony Brook, right? Oh, completely. I, I mean, you, completely. You, if you're New Hampshire, you get your starting quarterback back in Trevor Knight, and what a difference he makes. Oh, completely. If, if Trevor Knight does not go down in the first quarter of the game at Maine in week one, they probably win that ball game. Right. And they've just been anemic on offense ever since. Seven points in the main game, three against Colgate, 14 against Colorado, nine against Elon. They put up 28 and allow zero against Holy Cross. <laughs> so either Trevor Knight is called back and he's playing on defense too, or he is just that leadership skill that gets everybody fired up. This is a scary game, man, if you're Stony Brook. This yeah. is a game where you don't want to overthink it. You don't want to press. You don't yeah. want to be tensed up like, man, we can't make this mistake. But <laughs> New Hampshire is ready to make a run. Trevor Knight is, is phenomenal. And yeah. if a guy means this much to his team, talk about <laughs> most valuable player, right? Yeah. That game right there is going to be one hell of a ball game. I'll, I'll, I will say this right now. Trevor Knight, if you lead New Hampshire to seven consecutive wins and a postseason berth, I will write you a letter of apology <laughs> for ever downing you and your entire program. Give me the address. But you have to win the first seven, the next six games first. If they do that, he's a finalist for the Peyton Award. Oh, absolutely! To take a team from zero and four to the playoffs, would that be the a reason? That's the difference between sneaking in at seven and four and holy crap, they ended up seven and four, and they've got winnable games after this Stony Brook game too. They got Delaware, Villanova, and dare I say it, JMU. Wow, you said winnable games, and you mentioned powerhouses. That's where we are right now in the CEA, right? It's, it's, it's absolute. <laughs> it's, it's pure chaos. Let's talk about another chaotic game, Bethune-Cookman at South Carolina State. BC has been vulnerable. South Carolina State, better than the record shows. Interesting ball game here. And having just watched South Carolina State play football, defensively, I don't know how Buddy Pugh does it. There are always guys, some, some yeah. pro guys. Pat McKeever 
is going to be next year, Javon Hargrave. He was all over the field against Morgan State. He's a pro player. They're good along the offensive line. Yep. Can they get consistent offensive play from Tyree Snick, the quarterback? Bethune-Cookman, they had their opportunity, man, to stay in atop. Yep. You know, they can't fall two games back in the MEAC. They're only one game back. Coach Sims does a great job. Terry Sims does a great job coaching this football team. And they have a ton of offense. This is a must-win game. They have to continue to win in order to make things interesting in this conference. But defense versus offense going to be a good one. Two more games to talk about here before we end this podcast. Who would have thought this game on would look like this on paper? Wofford at Furman. Hmm. Wofford probably going to be a top-five ranked team, and Furman has fallen off the face of the earth. The Paladins have completely lost their magic. But the question is, is this a trap game for Wofford? Is, could it possibly be a trap game for Wofford? It is definitely a trap game for Wofford. Easily a trap game for Wofford. But what the saving grace for Wofford, defense. Mm. You talk about things that travel, run game and defense, right? They got both. They shouldn't lose this game, right? They shouldn't lose any game. Nope. They, I keep saying this because they really had that game won. They should have beaten Wyoming. Yeah. This team is a – I want to see everyone's – I can't wait to see the, the AFCA's coaches poll. Yeah. Stats, top 25. Um, uh, Hero Sports, I believe, has one. Yeah. I want to see these top 25s and where they have Wofford. Yeah. This is a top five team in my eyes. They could they could be number two, depending on you know how impressive they think that win is over Chattanooga. The, the here's the issue people keep looking at when they look at Wofford and put them in the top five. All that's in the back of their minds is that playoff game last year against North Dakota State where they kept yep. getting beat by the wheel route. Yep, <laughs> wheel route, <laughs> defend the wheel route. So I think that's what people are trying to are, are hesitant with, with Wofford, but. When you watch them play, they're a really good football team. One more game to get to. Do or die game for two programs. Bucknell at Monmouth. Oh. Huge, huge game, especially for Monmouth. After a great season they had last year, they have slipped a lot. They can't afford another another loss, especially to a Bucknell team. You realize they haven't played a conference game yet? That's crazy. That's nutty. So, if they win this game, they're 4-2. Right. Then you go into conference play. Well, all things are possible, right? You four, you're four and two going into conference play. You run the table. Let's say you, you know, you upset Kennesaw. You're nine and two. Make yeah. a case, but you're right. This is this probably is a trap game because quiet is kept. Bucknell has found some offense, and Bucknell has been playing some really good football in the Patriot League. And I'm right now they are third behind Colgate and your Georgetown Hoyas. <laughs> Your Georgetown Hoyas. Yeah, they're my Georgetown Hoyas. But here's the other thing, too, for, for Monmouth. You talk about they haven't played a conference game yet. Their first conference game is next week, and it's against Campbell. So you think they might look past this Bucknell game a little bit? Because Campbell right now is the, is the second-best team in that conference behind Kennesaw. On, on paper, I would say yes, but Monmouth can't afford to look past anybody right now. Yeah. So they have to take Bucknell seriously. Although their loss, their only FCS loss is to Princeton. So at this no point, no shame in losing the Princeton. That's not a bad loss. They lost to Eastern Michigan pretty handily, so that might be well, a, that might be a worse loss than losing to Princeton. I did this broadcast last year, the the Monmouth Bucknell broadcast, and Monmouth completely obliterated Bucknell up front on, right. on, along the offensive line. Now, again, this was Monmouth's strength last year. Uh, pro prospect and uh, that a pro player actually, Alex Thompson. Uh, so did Bucknell and um, 
Abdullah Anderson, who's now with the Chicago Bears. Right. But they were dominating up front. I don't know if this is the same offensive line. I don't know if this is the same defensive line with yeah. with uh, Bucknell. So that's why this game is probably going to be a high-scoring one, one where they're going to need their big-time playmaker, Reggie White, to make another play. And this, uh, they're coming off a, game, a bye week, but the game before, they won 54-47 against a Wagner team that – probably couldn't put up points against anybody else. So Wagner, defense is going to be a question. It's gonna, it, Wagner runs the football, we, and we know uh, head coach Joe Susan and Bucknell will try to run the football. Before we wrap things up here, Emery, where are you going to be next week? We know you're a busy man. Where are you going to be? This week is a light week. I only have a broadcast. Ooh, he gets, he gets some free time. I get some free time. Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, I will be the color analyst on ESPN3 for the homecoming game for the Howard Bison and Delaware State Hornets. Interesting ball game that, too. Howard is a lot better than the record shows. So yeah, and, and I'm interested to see the go-go offense in person. Yeah. Uh, I was supposed to have a Howard broadcast a couple weeks ago, but the we had the hurricane right. so that, against Savannah State. So I don't know if that game is going to be rescheduled toward the end of the season. They should. Right. Um, but it's my first chance to see Kalen Newton up close, the go-go offense up close, and this new Delaware State team, you know, yeah. um, new coaching staff, a lot going on there. Uh, we'll, we'll see. So that's where I'll be this weekend. Absolutely. And I will actually be going back up to my alma mater. It's homecoming week at Springfield College. So be going up there for the ball game. They only have, they're, I believe, 4-1 and one so far on the oh, season. Oh, y'all lost. Y'all terrible. We lost to Union. Union is, is good. Union is very good. So we're, we're, we're still we're undefeated in conference play. That's okay. all I care about. So we'll, we'll be up, definitely up there for that. And again, folks, we talked about it on, on the program. If you're at one of these FCS schools and your team is home, go out and watch the ball game. Take a, you know, take a minute away from your cell phone. Take a minute away from your textbooks. By the way, you can still bring your phone. They are mobile. You can bring them into the stadium and use them there. So go to a game. Support your team. If you're a community member and you're wondering what to do this weekend and your team is home, go to the game. Schools would love to see you there. The players would love the support. Go out and support your local team. That's it for us, folks. Thank you for listening in. As always, again, you can listen back on this podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes On Demand. We'll be back next week with a preview for week eight. Thanks for listening in.